Hi, Gavin. Hi, Louie. We're here in my luxurious penthouse suite apartment. You turned the AC off less than a minute ago, and I am already dying. You're like turning into that puddle of, from Alex Mack. Yeah, like, yeah, I back. am. I am the secret life. Mm, mm, <laughs> yeah, of Alex Mack. Yeah. Well, welcome everyone to the Mixed Reviews. Hi, I'm We're, Gavin. I'm Louie, and we are here to talk t- your faces off Yeah. Um, about... Um, well, what we do is we take a, an actor yeah. or director or film subject yeah. and we dissect it. That was, was too, that dark? That was too, too dark. Creepy. That's too yeah, much. Gavin. Too much. Like, you want to try it again? Yeah. We take an actor or mm-hmm. a director or a film subject and we cut it open and take its guts out. Wow. That, that, worse. There's, worse. There's, there's the charm and energy yes. that I love exactly. so much and I expect uh, every episode. Well, I just want you to know it's August, which means it's basically Halloween. So... Okay, I know this is like a bit that you do, but like truly it is too early. (laughs) No. Truly. It is never too early for Halloween in our hearts. Okay. In our cold dead hearts. You know what? I did go see um, Hocus Pocus live with um, Kathy and Jimmy in the audience. Oh, you were there. Yeah. Um, I had friends that went to that. She was like barely interested in being there. (laughs) Like she's excellent great, but mostly she's like, listen, I'm an activist first and an actor second now, so whatever. I love... I like that in the last, in between the last time we were together, you saw Kathy and Jimmy live. Yeah. I saw Bette Midler live. Wow. And we both saw Sarah Jessica Parker dead. Dead. <laughs> Un- She's just zombieing around <laughs> New York City. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, God. Wow. What a life we lead. <laughs> we live. Um, speaking of living and laughing and loving, uh, last episode we talked about living icon and legend, Miss Cher herself. We asked you guys to go to our Twitter poll and vote on what your favorite uh, share movie is, and I've got the results in my hands. Oh my goodness. Um, your pick, Mask, came in the last place with 9%. Um, Silkwood came at 18%. My pick, um, come down to the five and dime, Jimmy Dean, Jimmy Dean, <laughs> or whatever it's called, uh, came in second with 23%. And, um, a late surge, um, brought Moonstruck to the top with 50% of the votes. Um, all around. No wrong answers. You didn't know wrong answers. And let me tell you, I am not surprised. And honestly, like, Moonstruck deserves it. Uh, As I've said before on the show, oftentimes I will try and pick, first of all, I'll pick my favorite performance no matter what, but also I usually try and go the less obvious route because I want people to see these films that maybe they perhaps have not seen. Because you're like so like interesting and weird and kooky and you just like... All those things. (laughs) You forgot Handsome. Oh. Yeah. Did I forget? Let me (laughs) me tell you, that's why I host a podcast Mm, mm, mm. and not videocast. But yeah, but I I mean, I was happy to see the people that did did like Mask and I was really, I was actually really happy to see what a strong showing uh, come back to the Five and Dime Jimmy Dean, Jimmy Dean had. Yeah, same. Because I really liked that movie and I didn't know so many people had seen it. So yeah, maybe I should have more faith in our audience. Maybe, yeah. Um, Also, just a quick shout out, we have um, some people saying no love for mermaids um we have lots of love for mermaids oh yes absolutely uh, i just didn't know which ones like was i gonna really knock out silkwood in favor of mermaids right right <laughs> probably not um and oh also just a quick note i did go see mamma mia too yeah and you hated it and i hated it i don't know why i don't know what's wrong I, with somebody hates fun it's louie i don't hate fun and honestly when the movie became fun like honestly when Cher came <laughs> uh i was like super into it but before that i was like all these, the all the these big two, dancing queen number didn't didn't do anything for you? When they're on the boats coming in, yeah, that yeah. was fun. But before that, I was like, uh, the C-list ABBA music, I was like, kissing the teacher, like what? I, don't... <laughs> I do love the fact that they give so much time to a song about assaulting a teacher. <laughs> exactly. And 
Lily James is fine. Like, all those young, attractive people are fine. But I was like, this is boring. Um, <laughs> but anyway, I digress. Cher was the best part of that movie, and um, I'm not surprised. So, <laughs> there. I disagree, but it's fine. Um, moving on, though. Yes. Who are we talking about this week, Gavin? Why, we're talking about none other than the Scottish legend mm. known as Ewan McGregor. Yes, Ewan McGregor, my loins quake and quiver for yeah. thee. I actually am sweating even more now, mm, just thinking mm, about it. Yeah, so, true, yeah, true, true, true. <laughs> That's not possible. <laughs> I'm just a pile of water. <laughs> exactly. Um, so I have the honor of taking us into our rewind. Yes. So why don't please. I get it started? Educate me. Ewan McGregor was born in Perth and raised in Creef. Both of those are in Scotland. Um, he, he was born on March 31st, 1971. He is not, in fact, a Disney-created character in relation to Scrooge McDuck. I don't believe it. Like, yeah. I don't I, believe it. I thought he was. Who like, knew? He looks like he was made in a lab. <laughs> it does look like he was made in a lab. As like, opposed to, like, Zac Efron, who is, like, a rubber human being. Yeah, yeah. Like, ugh. I, Hugh McGregor was made in a lab. Zac Efron was made in a sex shop. Mm, That's the, there it is. There yeah. it is. Um, I like how we're acting like as if we would say no to either of them. <laughs> oh my god, Ailes, that guy from. His mother, Carol Diane, uh, is a retired teacher at Creef High School. His father, James Charles Stewart, Jim McGregor, is a retired physical education teacher. He has an older brother named Colin, um, and his uncle is the actor Dennis Lawson, um, who was in the Star Wars trilogy, in the original yes, Star Wars trilogy. Yes, yeah, I saw that. And uh, he has said in many, many interviews that... Uh, it, his like love of theater and acting. My uncle would come. Who was an, a, an actor in London, and he he would come up to Scotland. And this, you know, uh, there wasn't anybody like him where I lived. And um, he was also my uncle, you know. And I was just, I just was. Um, I remember that excitement about when he was when he would come to visit. And I wanted to be like him. I think I wanted to be anything that he was, you know. So from a really really young age, I wanted to be an actor and I remember you know going to see him and stuff I remember seeing him in theatre in London when I was a kid you know going to see him in in plays um, in small theatres uh, to begin with and then um, later on in the West End he became very popular in musicals he did quite a few musicals in London that's why I wanted to be an actor I'm sure to be, to be. It's, it's interesting I often wonder if he hadn't been an actor would I still have because I really feel that this is the right thing for me to be doing I don't have any qualms about that, but um, I wonder if I would have thought about it if he hadn't sort of paved the way for me. I think I saw an interview where he said uh, th- him and his brother wore out the VHS of Star Wars yeah. because they were so excited to see their uncle like on the big screen. I mean, and, I mean, give me a break. Like he was must have been like eight, nine around the time when Star Wars came out. Uh, it's like just the perfect timing for a, a young boy to witness Star Wars, and also casually your uncle's in it, so whatever. <laughs> um, he attended the Independent Morrison's Academy in Creef, and uh, he tells the story of being in a car at the age of 16, and his mother explaining to him because he wasn't having a good time and wasn't really uh, getting the education that he wanted because he wanted, you know, a life in the arts. His mother told him he could drop out of school. We weren't allowed... You have to make choices, don't you? When you're when, In Britain, anyway, you have to make choices in secondary school. And right. Well, I did know what I wanted to do when I was nine. I wanted to be an actor. And uh, so by the time I got to 14, 15, and I had to make my decisions of what I wanted to do, well, really all I could do at school that felt good to me 
and was interested in was art and music. Like, those were my avenues of expression, if you like, sounds pretentious, but they were. There was the only creative things that I could think of to do. But the school didn't want me to do art and music, so they, had, they made me choose one, and I had to do physics and music. That just wasn't me, and I guess my parents could see by the age of 16, when they let me leave school, that I, that I wasn't copping out, that it, it was really, that this is all I cared about. I, my mum, I remember very distinctly, we were driving into Creef and it was raining and the windscreen wipers going like this, and she said, I've spoken to your dad and if you, if you want to leave school now, you can. And I was wow. like, what? I couldn't believe what she was saying. Sign me up. I was like, oh, well, I'm not going back to school then, that was it. I got to my mate's house where I was heading and I went, oh, I'm not going to school. And he went, what? I said, well, I'm not going back to school. My mom said I don't have to go. Big deal for parents who are teachers. Like, right, right. I wonder if, like, though, I'm feeling like this, like, Scottish wilderness <laughs> of, like, you know, chasing your dreams. And... You know, he wasn't born in the 1600s, Louis. Okay, um, no one can tell me otherwise if <laughs> he was or was not in the movie Brave, okay? He's, he's only 47. He was actually one of the bears, one of the three little bears. No, he was not. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I would have loved that if he was, though. The, uh, you would think Disney would tap into that. Hello. Or someone would tap that. Hello. Uh, <laughs> wow, we're terrible tonight. Lots of tapping. Um, after leaving school at the age of 16, uh, he worked as a stagehand at the Perth Theater and studied a foundation course uh, in drama at Kirkcaldy College of Technology before moving to London to study drama at the Guildhall School of Music and Drama when he was only 18 years old. I love all these names of these schools. It's oh, yeah. so, like, extra. <laughs> um... So he tells a lot of stories about his uh, his time there and like how how different it was through than other theater schools. Uh, one of the big things was they kind of sent you out for auditions like in your second year. They brought people in so cool. to like represent you and everything. Um, prior to his graduation from Guildhall, uh, he got his first big role. It's funny he was up for both. He he talks a bit about this. He was up for both a, a movie and this show. Um, but he didn't get the movie and was super depressed. And then he got this six episode miniseries, uh, Dennis Porter's, uh, channel four series, Lipstick on Your Collar. Um, I was able to find some of this, but most, not anything real coherent because, yeah. uh, most people who know Dennis Porter, uh, he's the guy who created the singing detective. Um, he, he creates these shows that are sort of like jukebox musicals with lip syncing. Love that. And so the show was about Ewan McGregor, uh, as a Russian translator. <laughs> Uh, he's a British man, but he's a, but he works in an office translating Russian things, um, in the, uh, 40, I believe in the, no, in the 60s. Um, and it's got a lot of, um, uh, like d dubbed over the mm. lip syncing to songs. I, I found this one clip and he even talks about it in interviews about having to do this take after take of singing Fats Domino's Blueberry Hill. So the camera's there and as I start singing, I found my thrill, the camera pans away and up into the corner from a close-up to me to reveal the whole world, the whole set, and everybody in it, who all then start singing with me to the, I find my throat. So we started that, and, I, and we did one take, and then we did another take, and then we did another take, and we did another take, and we did another take. And I started, my heart started racing. I was thinking, shit, I, I, I started losing my nerve, because we were doing five takes, 10 takes, 12 takes. And then um, Doogie, who, I had the presence of mind and the grace in his heart to come over to me, and he went, they're not, you know, they're n it's not you. And I went, what? He said, it's not you. It's the move, the, cr the crane move is quite difficult to get, and they're not getting it properly. Look, you know it's not you. 
And I didn't know it wasn't me. I thought, <laughs> I just thought, it's me, it's me, I'm sweating, I can't do this. Shit, I've wanted to do this all my life and I can't do it, you know, in this moment. It was a nightmare. And um, it, was love, I, it was so nice that he did, yeah. he thought to do that. And I've always remembered that. And from there, like, his career... Uh, you know, really started to take off. He did a BBC adaptation of Scarlet and Black with young Rachel Weisz. Um, Casual. Yeah, exactly. And then he uh, makes his film debut in 1994 in the movie Being Human with Robin Williams. Mm. He doesn't have a large role, but it's there. Um, and then his next big break uh, is the very next film he does, uh, which actually starts sort of a, a collaboration between him and Danny Boyle, which is the film Shallow Grave in 1994, um, starring him and Christopher Eccleston. And it's great. I don't know if you... Yeah, I watched her. Oh, yeah. I I I, like that movie a lot. Danny Boyle makes, like, really stylish movies. Yeah, well, Danny Boyle comes from a theater background. Hugh McGregor comes from a theater background. It sort of makes sense that they collaborate as well as they do together. He he would rehearse for maybe a week or so. And um, he would... Because he was a theater director, Danny... And he, so we would work on the text, and we would work on the text on our feet, and we would, we would block it in a way. You know, we'd be in a rehearsal room with maybe tape marks on the floor, like a, like a theater, theatrical rehearsal room, and it would be just him and us, the actors. And then, we would, and then when we were on set, the first thing that ever happened with a new scene is that he would clear everyone out, and we would have the set, he and the actors, on our own, with no sense of, kind of um, pressure of time. But because we'd already blocked it, it didn't take us very long to knock through the scene again. And um, if maybe something to do with the light or the set had made um, a difference. So you would, you would alter what you'd done in rehearsal room on the set. Because the very next film he does is another Danny Boyle film, one of his most famous films, mm-hmm. really introduced him to the you know, world stage, yep. is Train Spotting. Uh-huh. Um, he plays a heroin addict. Uh, as one is wont to do. I mean, and what a great heroin addict he plays. <laughs> oh, yes. Um, oh, he then goes on, 1998, He uh, he's cast as a romantic lead in this wonderful movie that I absolutely fucking love called Little Voice. Um, mm. It's so good. Uh, he's not the draw in it for me, but like he's he's good in it. Also in 1998, he does Todd Haynes' Velvet Goldmine. Um, and I think it's his first really prominent American accent in a movie. Right. And I'll come back to that. Okay. Okay. Um, it just feels like at, at that moment is when he cemented himself as like a um, like not British but like a, a an actor of the time, like the right. '90s time, because Train Spotting was such like an, a seminal like '90s moment, and a Velvet Goldmine kind of feels like in the same range of that. Also, I will have you know that I did watch something called Blue Juice. Which was after Train Spotting, but before Velvet Goldman, I believe. There, there's a something. lot of there's a lot of interesting like is that I'm assuming a British film. Yeah, and it was, because Brastoff also comes in that era. Yeah, Bra- Brastoff was so cute. Yeah, it's a cute movie. I love anything that has to do with like the Union saying "fuck you" to Margaret Thatcher. Those yeah. are my favorite movies. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, Blue Juice is trash. Don't watch it. And then like the year after that comes the big. Mm. The big movie, Star Wars: The Phantom <laughs> yeah, Menace. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, known to the ages is the best Star Wars film. Right, right. The one I mean, that, yeah. That's what I've said. Yeah, for... really. It's just the one that everybody just like when they think Star Wars, they think Phantom mm, Menace. Mm. Ooh. I will say though, the best part of Phantom Menace. I mean, he's very good in it, but I will say the best part is that fucking music. Like, 
How dare they? Like, uh, what, what was the, like the bad guy's name in that movie? Uh, Darth Maul. Darth Maul. It's funny. I watched a bunch of interviews where Ewan McGregor can't remember the uh, bad Maul. guy's name either. Darth Maul with his two lights, like two sided lightsaber. Yeah, iconic. Yeah. But then also whatever that fucking song the is, the Duel of the Fates. The Duel. Ugh, so good. Like yeah. I think you. I'm happy that these movies exist just yeah. for the music. I I have said many times. Um, because uh, I don't, I don't like the prequels, and I'm not like jumping on a bandwagon. I just don't think structurally they're great films. I don't think they add very much to the original films either, because part of the original films is mystery and it, like wipes all that out. Uh, but the problem with the prequels is, is there's no real human characters, and we, I think we sort of talked a little bit about this when we talked about Natalie Portman. And we kind of glossed over it because mm. she's really mistreated as a character. Yeah, um, uh, but well, makes me sad just even thinking about it. Yeah, God, yeah, oh. yeah. Oh yeah, she's really, especially that third movie. She's literally like, confined to a bedroom for the whole film. But uh, the the there's no human. There's no like Han Solo type characters, and the closest you get is Ewan McGregor, McGregor's portrayal yeah. of of Obi Wan Kenobi, who still is a Jedi Knight, so he's still doing the whole lecture. Like, but we don't yeah. have emotions, Anakin. Why do I get the feeling you're going to be the death of me? Don't say that, Master. You're the closest thing I have to a father. Then why don't you listen to me? I am trying. Can you see him? I think he is a she, and I think she's a changeling. In that case, be extra careful. Go and find her. Where are you going, Master? For a drink. He's very good in it, but like he's talked a lot about how it was really difficult making yeah. those movies, and how he necessarily didn't have like a great time making them. My favorite interview piece I've I've heard uh, is. Uh, you know, he comes from a theater background. Everything's very real. Yeah. Nothing is real in Star Wars. I was walking around with George when I got the part in the studio where we shot up in north of London called Leavesden, where they ended up shooting all the Harry Potter films. And I, and there was, guy, you know, we walked, he was showing me around the art department, and there was guys with chainsaws making a huge, carving this huge submarine out of blocks of polystyrene. And there was a perspex bubble in the top that looked like where we might sit, and... And I, as we walked round, I, I said, will we go on, will we go underwater? <laughs> and, and, and he went, what? <laughs> I said, will we go, will we go under the water in it? He went, there's none of it real. <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, and a little part of me died. <laughs> <laughs> Because the truth is, there is none of it real. You know what yeah. I mean? I think because he said this was, these were the first movies I made that kids could watch. Right. And, you know, just knowing how special Star Wars is to him and to kids are so... He was like, maybe I shouldn't start... Like, I should stop talking shit about <laughs> making these movies. Um... So he's handcuffed to Star Wars from 99 to 2005. And in between those, he makes, in 2001, Moulin Rouge, uh-huh. which is a big success for him. Um, 2003, he makes Down With Love, which is a, a personal favorite of mine. Um, and uh, and in 2003, he also is in Big Fish. So the, it's not like he's doing small movies, but he does have smaller movies come out uh, during those periods because uh, he does this... Uh, smaller film called Young Adam mm-hmm. with uh, Tilda Swinton, which mm-hmm. is sort of a, a like slice of life kind of murder mystery. Uh, that's re- it's really well done and and very like it's weird. It's one of the it's a movie where there is so much sex, like so much sex, hmm. but like none of it is like ooh sex. It's like oh yeah, sex is gross. Yeah, yeah, sex is kind of gross. Sex is definitely gross. <laughs> um, I mean, if you're doing it right. Yeah, exactly. Um, 
he's done animated work. He did uh, robots, and he did Valiant. Yes, um, which I had completely forgotten is a Disney movie. Yeah, that's I, that was when that was during the Bolt era. Yes, and I feel like no nobody talks about that. Um, nobody talks about Valiant enough. Okay, guys, <laughs> all you Disney faker fans. Um, but yeah, it, and like I I don't want to like name you know, like every um, single production he's involved in, but you know he starts he starts doing big films. He does uh, Michael Bay's The Island, um, and and then like. Towards the the middle part of the the first decade of the two thousands, he he starts to do less big films, and he starts to you know he's he does Woody Allen's uh, Cassandra's Dream. He does he stars opposite Jim Carrey and I Love You, Philip Morris, um, and he appeared in the movie Amelia. No one remembers that movie. I was like, I remember that movie only because it's directed by um, that Indian woman who yes. I really like, Miranair. Yeah. Um, and also, it was kind of like Oscar Beatty thing for Hilary Swank, um, but it flopped so hard. Yeah. And I was like, no! But, I mean, I didn't watch it. But, like, and then the other, he also does one of my other favorite performances of his during that era, which is uh, 2010's The Ghost Rider. I know I'm a terrible person for liking him in a Roman Polanski movie. <laughs> I know Roman Polanski is canceled, but, like... He's good. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, Ewan's good. Right. Not, not, not Roman. Roman's a bad guy. Roman is the <laughs> like, worst. Outside of acting, uh, you know, in 2012, he ends up on the, the main competition jury at a Cannes Film Festival. Um, and he's awarded the Donostia Lifetime Achievement Award at the San Sebastian International Film Festival. He's the youngest recipient ever of that award because he's like... What is that award? Tw- like 20, 2012... It's a it's a lifetime achievement lifetime award. achievement award yeah in 2012 yeah yeah huh um I mean he does work a lot yeah uh, in 2016 he makes his directorial debut in a movie called American Pastoral which was essentially like either he directed it or nobody else would yeah because it kept losing directors right. and finally he was very passionate about making that I wonder film. why that people kept dropping out of it I mean um, I guess like the text is a really hard yeah it's it's based off of. Is it Philip Roth? Yeah, Philip Roth. It's like a really famous novel, I guess. Yeah, and Philip Roth's novels are um, notoriously difficult to adapt. Um, I like how, like, for his first try, he was like, yeah, this really, like, yeah. difficult. <laughs> I mean, I get it. You're passionate about something, whatever. But uh, it uh, flopped. Yeah, it did not do well. Um, and then in, in 2017, he was on the third season of Fargo. Um I will be perfectly honest, he was not my favorite part of that season. Um, mm. I thought he was good, though. I did think he was good. I thought he was a little... He played twins. Right. I thought he was a little better as one brother than he was as the other. It's huh. um, a lot of work, okay? Yeah. It, oh, no. Absolutely. He actually received the Golden Globe Award for Best Actor in a oh, miniseries or television f- uh, film. Cool. Um, also, all throughout this, he has never left the stage. From June of 2005 to April of 2007, which is a really long run, Yeah, um, he was uh, starring alongside Jane Krakowski, Douglas he- uh, Hodge, and Jenna Russell uh, in Guys and Dolls wow. um, in, in London, um, which started out at the Donmar Warehouse and transferred to the Piccadilly Theater. Um, he played the lead role of Sky Masterson. Um, what a and, dream cast. Yeah. And he, he received... This is a weird thing. He received the LastMinute.com award for Best Actor for his performance in 2005. Um, and he was also nominated for a uh, Laurence Olivier Award for Best Actor in a Musical in 2007. And then from December of 2007 to February 2008, uh, he was Iago in Othello and, oh. and Don Mare, uh with uh, Cheetah Wall Ejiofor as Othello and Kelly Riley as Desdemona. Which, Jesus. Yeah. Uh, they recorded that for BBC Radio. <gasps> Rodrigo, come hither. 
If thou be as valiant as they say base men being in love have then a nobility in their natures more than is native to them, list me. The lieutenant tonight watches on the court of guard. First I must tell thee this. Desdemona is directly in love with him. With him? Why, it is not Lay possible. thy finger thus and let thy soul be instructed. Mark me with what violence she first loved the moor, but for bragging and telling her fantastical lies, and will she love him still for prating? <laughs> let not thy discreet heart think it. During all this too, and this is a, this is a weird thing uh, that he just sort of does. Part of it is charity work, part of it is entertainment for himself. Um, he's done two very long motorcycle trips that yeah. BBC has filmed. Um, he began as a motorcyclist in his youth. Um, so he took up a marathon of international motorbike trip with his best friend, Charlie Borman and cameraman Claudio Von Planta in 2004. Um, from mid April to the end of July, they traveled from London to New York via Central Europe, Ukraine, Kazakhstan, Mongolia, Russia, and Canada. Um, say that again from uh, UK yeah, to New York. York. Yes. Like, I, I mean, just want everyone listening to really let that sink in. <laughs> like, it's a going around the world, but like, the other way. The other way. Exactly. The trip includes visits to several UNICEF programs along the route and form the basis of the television series and best-selling book, both called Long Way Round. I was just looking at these little wooden houses and they're from another time. It's like time travel. We watched this old lady carrying buckets of water on a stick across her back. I mean, I don't know if it makes you appreciate what we have or not. You know what I mean? Why do I assume that because I've got a tap and stuff, it's better? Long Way Round team reunited in 2007. And they went from Scotland to Cape Town in South Africa. Uh, the journey entitled Long Way Down lasted from the 12th of May to August 5th of 2007. McGregor's brother Colin joined the motorcycle team during the early stages of the Long Way Down journey. His father Jim also rode on sections. Wow, like imagine if like from yeah. May to August, that's like what, May, April, June, July, like that's four or five months just on your motorcycle going um, halfway across the world, like yeah. delivering aid and help to uh, these UNICEF uh, locations. That's oh, fucking boss. And that's not all. In 2012, uh, he appeared in a two-part BBC documentary called Ewan McGregor, Cold, uh, Cold Chain Mission, where he traveled on boat, motorbike, uh, plane, and on foot to deliver vaccines to children in remote parts of India, Nepal, the Republic of Congo. Uh, the trip was part of his UNICEF ambassador work. So he's done a, a lot of amazing work um, in terms of that. Um he got married pretty young, right? Yeah. He gets married to Eve Mavrakis, a French-Greek Jewish production designer whom he met on the set of Kavanaugh QC in 95. Uh, together, they have four daughters. Amazing. Yeah. Imagined daughters. <laughs> four daughters and your dad, Ewan McGregor. Yeah. Um, the One of them's adopted uh, from Mongolia. They live in Los Angeles, California. Right. But then they lo- relocated to, to North Lon- of London He's raised his daughter uh, in the Jewish faith oh. uh, from his wife. And he's actually said that he considers himself more Jewish than he does Christian nowadays. Wow. Um, but uh, as of May of last year, uh, he separated from his wife and actually started dating Mary Elizabeth Winstead, um, whom he met on Fargo. And in January of this year, uh, 2018, McGregor actually filed for divorce of his wife. Citing irreconcilable differences. Wow, I did not know that. Yeah, um, and uh, as I mentioned, Charity Works, um, the, the UNICEF. He's been a UNICEF ambassador for a very long time. Uh, he hosted the annual Hollywood Gala for the Go campaign in 2009 and 2010, um, and he works with the Children's Hospice Association of Scotland. Um, and you know, he just he gives a lot to 
charities, especially around UNICEF, especially having to do with getting medicine to children. And I don't know, I think that's commendable. And it's always nice, as we've mentioned before, to bring up the charity work that some of these actors do. Um, And uh, I think he's one of the only um, actors we've done so far that has not been nominated for an Oscar. Yeah, I think uh, that's kind of surprising in some ways because... But, well, some the high-profile l- work that he does... Right, you, and, you and, and some parts, like his movies that he's been in have been nominated for Oscars, right. but he just never has been able to clinch a nom. He got nominated for a Golden Globe for Moulin Rouge, Yeah, um, and I think he won it because of the like the separation of the musical comedy and then like... Yeah. But, when it came to the Oscars, he didn't even get a nomination, but Nicole Kidman did. Um, same thing that happened in The Impossible. Yeah. Um, Naomi Watts got nominated for an Oscar. He didn't. Um, in Beginners, uh, Christopher Plummer got nominated for an Oscar. He didn't. Um, so he's kind of always, like, on the edge, like, surrounded by... Um, in 2010, he was given... Uh, I, now I'm going to try and do this in French, but he's a Knight of the Order of the Arts and Letters in France, cool. and he was appointed an officer in the Order of the British Empire in 2013. So, like, he he's getting accolades, just not here in America. And also, just real quick before we move into anything else, to uh, uh, he's mentioned in t- 2007, and I think too much surprise to everybody, that uh, he'd given up alcohol... And he claimed that he would, he'd yeah. been a functioning alcoholic for yeah. years. Um, and I but, can see that. <laughs> but yeah, and he's, he said uh, as of 2007, he'd not had a drink in seven years. Um, and then 20, 2008, um, he actually had a cancerous mole removed from underneath his right eye, which I didn't know about. Um, yeah, I didn't know about either. I did know about um, he had stopped drinking. And like from the interviews I read, he basically was like, listen, um, they spent a year making Moulin Rouge, and he said it was so much fun, but that he was truly a wild monster person. Like, just going out yeah. all the time and getting shit-faced. And, I mean, he says, like, it was a lot of fun, but at the end of it, it was like, you could either give up work, give up your wife, or give up the booze. And the booze is the only thing that he was willing to give up um, to continue being able to work at the level he was working at. And, you know, like, good for him. He uh, made a decision that works for him, and he knows his body was telling him yeah. stuff, and he listened. Are you never tempted now? No. You're not. You're I'm just... too happy without it. Really, really. I don't notice it now. I don't... It's, it's funny. It's a, to, it's, a, it's, a, it's a concept that's difficult to grasp unless, you just do, unless you're living it. And it's just my life. I don't drink, and I don't miss it. I don't, I don't walk around as a guy going, Oh my god, I really would like to have a drink, but I mustn't. I just don't drink. I don't mm. I don't want to. Mm. I don't miss it. Mm. Speaking of his body, he's a person who's very aware of his body. Yes. I do want to say I tweeted something out earlier this week that I felt bad for after doing more research out of Ewan McGregor is not afraid to show off his Ewan McGregor his, in films. His junk. <laughs> yeah, his junk. Uh in the early part of his career, he did a lot of nudity. Uh I mentioned young Adam, uh Vel Goldmine, mm-hmm. uh uh The Pillow Book, and I'm trying to think of the fourth one but there's four films if you're that hard up to see him nude and they're all be. great movies to watch you might be because the media are so crass and shallow it's become a sort of joke about me which i which i don't like i i think it's a film represents life and and life involves nudity you know at both ends of the day for me and if you're lucky somewhere in the middle and um <laughs> So uh, if films really truly represent life, yeah. why on earth would we not have naked people in mm. movies? I mean, it just and also at that point when I started in the early '90s, you know, uh, we were coming out of that. You know, girls were always having to show their boobs in movies, and um, it's changed thankfully. But um, at that point, you know, I 
I, I really, I really felt like, fuck it, I, why should, we never see men, we never see, yeah. we never see a penis in anything, why, why don't we do that, I see that. So, um, I, I've just always thought that it's really, I've, I'm always really connected to my work, I think the work's important, and it's, and, um, you know, nudity and the naked body and sexuality and, um, are, are all very important things to us as people, and, and a huge drive in our, what makes us take as, as people our sexual life and um, so I think that's important to explore and work I've always been happy to do that I, it's embarrassing to do if it's if it doesn't have that sort of weight behind it and and to sort of demean it by by Gore McGregor's naked again I was just annoyed by that I, yeah. I think it's a shame uh, but whereas violence and bloodshed and that's not that doesn't upset anybody I mean mm -hmm. that really I don't want to see someone's intestines that upsets me, but if I see someone's penis, that's fine. I don't care, you know. <laughs> I don't want to see guts and decapitation, <laughs> but I'm quite happy to watch someone have sex. <laughs> He's had, on average, four movies out every year since, like, 96 or something crazy. Yeah. And it's a good time to remind everybody, he's 47. Yeah. So, like, he's very prolific. Yeah, he has still a lot to go. Yeah. Um... And yeah, th there's a lot of movies to get through. Um, and I, like, I, I also wanted to rewatch Beginners, but I just didn't get around to yeah. it because I was like, I just want to watch I, new I, stuff. I don't think I really rewatched re anything, which was unfortunate. I almost rewatched Little Voice, but I couldn't get anybody to watch it with me. So, um, <laughs> that's not a movie for yourself. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, watch this thing I like. Um, I did rewatch I Love You, Philip Morris, just because I was like, I know I'm going to enjoy that. We've now twice done people. I know. To rewatch it, and I've not had the urge to rewatch it, so I just think I don't like that movie. I like it a lot. Um, that's fine, but I think it's just because it's like Texas non yeah. nonsense and shenanigans. Um, before we move into our picks, uh, I I do have some quick questions because I I've developed a a, sort a thought. Of, well, just a theory mm. on you and McGregor's acting, and we are here to talk about his acting. So, um, wh so what do you think of him as an actor? What do you? I think he it like has that very specific like charm. Like, he reminds me a lot of, like, there was always at least, like, one straight guy in high school who was, like, the nice straight guy or, like, right. the, the nice straight guy who could, like, hang, like, who wasn't afraid of, like, kissing a boy and, like, right. being chill about it because you McGregor will kiss a boy. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. And, and actually, just a sidebar, one of the things I really appreciate him, because I've seen him play gay, like, Pillow Book, he has a lot of sex with men, uh, Velvet Goldmine, yep. um, I Love You, Philip Morris. And I even watched this really, really abysmal film that he's not in very much called Scenes of Sexual Nature, where he plays a gay, a gay man. And, like, he never sinks to, no. a, to like, no. a mince or, never. like, he just... <laughs> and, like, you have no idea as a, as a, a queer audience, as we're both... Um, how how appreciative oh, I yeah. really am of that. Yeah, like, yeah. I mean, it, it, it's almost to, like people get. I mean, obviously, like uh, like with all the Scarlett Johansson like shit, like yeah, uh, taking roles away from like queer actors or trans actors and stuff. With him, it feels like such he's playing with such respect. Yeah, it doesn't bother me for yeah. whatever reason. Um, beyond that, I think he is that special type of character. Who, like when it's time to play charming, like yeah. in down with love. Oh my god, it, his smile. Brilliance, yeah. um, but also like when it's time for him to play like maybe a little more dastardly or plain evil. There's something unsettling. Um, yeah. Who do we talk about? Oh, it's unsettling. Oh, Stanley Tucci. Yeah. Has the same thing. It's unsettling when they're playing against type, and it's so good. So uh, what I I agree with everything you said, and actually I'm glad. Like I I really kind of like the the comparison. The straight guy can hang, but like that's but you did bring up theater and. 
I think, and this is not a knock by any means, but I, I get scared that people might interpret this as mean or me saying that, like, I don't think he's good because I think he's extremely good. But he is not one really for a subtle performance. Mm. He's a very theatrical performer. And I think sometimes when you put him in a um more nuanced role he like loses a little bit of what makes him right. so what, good like what um i'm trying to think of like a movie where it maybe cuz i'm i'm thinking of all the moments where he's like had to like yell like yeah. i'm thinking like obviously like star wars when he's like right. you were supposed to say but like right. it's a classic um in the impossible when he does that phone call to yeah. like his family and he breaks down and it's amazing Maria and Lucas are not here. What do you, what do you mean, not there? The motor came and swept everyone away. And the phone, I found Thomas and Sam and Maria and Lucas up. I don't know what to do, I don't know what to look for. Henry, Henry, calm down. Henry, Henry. I have to go, because lots of people need to use this phone, okay? I was calling it. <laughs> and and like those are all good and those are great examples but i still feel like there's there's like a slight bigness to them like even even in young adam which is a very mm. dour movie he plays everything uh you know there's a scene where he towards the beginning and i don't want to give too much away about that movie because that movie is really interesting in the way it unfolds but they find a dead body at the beginning of the movie right and he starts uh the, one of the first scenes he like starts like trying to figure out maybe what happened to this dead body and and like he starts rambling off how she could have died i think she went to a bridge fully dressed and stood there breathing the warm night air and she took off her jacket and folded it neatly on the ground and then she unbuttoned her blouse and then undid her brazier let it drop down on top of the other clothes and then she'd unroll her stockings and hold them out so that they blew in the breeze like pennants before she let them float off into the night. She'd shiver and ask herself if she really wanted to go through with this. And she'd answer that question by kicking her clothes into the river. And it still feels like a slightly enhanced performance. I was telling my friend Connor about this and he was like, oh yeah, like a, like a Hugh Jackman. Yeah. And I, and I do think there is a quality there, which once again is not a, a negative thing, but perhaps that's why people don't always flock towards him in terms of like thinking about giving him an award for his filmic portrayals. Right. I think he knows what he does very well. Yeah. And he knows how to dial it up to 11. Like, I mean, God, think about Velvet Goldmine. When yeah. He's, when he's on stage, when you first see him as Kurt Wilde. Yeah. I was like, I'm at a concert. Yeah. And he is fully lived in as this person, even in train spotting. Yeah. Um, like it's, but he there's had, nothing small about no, that. No, no, yeah. right. And those two two movies, there's right. nothing really small there. Um, maybe in Velvet Goldmine towards the end. Um, Train Spotting is the other movie he's nude in. Duh. He's nude in that? Yeah, just a little bit. Oh, okay. Um, but yeah, it's. Uh, I think part of his like magnetism is he has like this wild energy. Yeah. I mean, thinking about like Moulin Rouge, you know, like being able to. Yeah, his. I mean, and that's like he's perfect for Moulin Rouge or Down with Love or Velvet Goldmine or yeah. the these sort of bigger than life portrayals. But there is something like it's not theatrical. Like sometimes I, I a, a really good example actually is um, uh, I don't know if you saw the movie Night Watch, which was mm-hmm. it's really abysmal. But um, but it's <laughs> hit, like him and a lot of scenes. It's him and um, 
can't think of his name, uh, Josh Brolin. And it's interesting because Hugh McGregor's decided to sort of play down in that movie, still kind of broad, but down further. And Josh Brolin is just like playing to the, yeah, exactly. Like playing to the rafters, just Uh like everybody in the back row is going to know what's going on. And it's a god awful performance from him. They know who it is? They have a suspect. Who is it? The wrong guy, I guess. I guess they got the wrong guy. I want to narrow that down just a little bit. Which wrong guy is it? It's me. You. You think it's you? (laughs) Oh, boy. Boy, they got the wrong guy. And it's interesting to watch that Hugh McGregor still has that sort of like theatrical brightness to him, but he, he yeah. can sort of pull it in, but it still didn't like, I, maybe nuance isn't the right word, but it just, it's never small. Yeah. And th- the more I think about it, you're right. But I wonder if it's just cause he's a fucking star. Yeah, it could be. He, he does sh- have that quality. He shines too bright. He shines too bright. And he shall not apologize. Well, for that, then I say, why don't we move into our five star reviews? Okay. Five star reviews coming up hot and fresh. I'm gonna go first because I'm just gonna. Because it's your apartment. Because it's my apartment and I'm melting. Um, no, it's like, listen, I watched all these movies and I was like, oh wow, blah, blah, blah. But literally, it just doesn't fucking matter because the answer is Moulin Rouge, okay? <laughs> like, that, when I first saw that movie, it was at that moment where I knew I am a gay man. <laughs> and I love life. <laughs> Life, liberty, pursuit of happiness, or what, what's, um. That's the beauty, American dream. Oh, right. <laughs> beauty, truth, and love. Hello. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, Moulin Rouge, I mean, how much do we need to talk about Moulin Rouge? You know, it's, came out in 2001, uh, Baz Luhrmann, Nicole Kidman, it, Elephant Love Song Medley, like, yeah. <laughs> I, I fully went to the Alamo Draft House to watch a sing-along. Um. How did that go? It was amazing. Like I mentioned earlier, um, Variety released, a uh, Actors on Actors, um, interview with Nicole Kidman and Ewan McGregor and they like caught up um literally Moulin Rouge came out like 17 years ago which is <laughs> no, shut up horrifying yeah um there is literally now a Broadway musical coming to Broadway yes, like, uh, which has been playing Boston and I know several people have seen it yeah. including um uh my friend Joe Reed who listens to the show hi Joe hi Joe um that and liked it. Yeah, I thought, thought it was good. Yeah, uh, I don't remember what Joe said about the guy playing. It's Aaron Tevyet. Yeah, but I, from from most of the reviews I've heard, he's no Ewan. Yeah. Oh, who could be? <laughs> um, so essentially, if you haven't seen Moulin Rouge, it's this great tragedy comedy romance musical, musical like on meth, it's spectacular, spectacular. Yeah. Um, it's. <laughs> The story about, you know, uh, McGregor's character, Christian. Yeah. Uh, Christian, if you will. Um, and he is a writer and he moves to Paris to become part of the Bohemian Revolution, um, to, uh, f- follow a truth, beauty, love. Um, and he gets involved with, um, uh, Toulouse Lautrec, played by, um, John Logazamo. John Logazamo. So good. And they want to write this big show and they need to convince, um, the uh uh Harold Ziedler yeah. um to produce it 
Um, and to do that, he needs to woo and convince um, Satine, which is Nicole Kidman, yeah. who she's is... She's a courtesan. A courtesan. And she just wants to be a great actress. Oh, right. Um, she and, wants to stop fucking for money. Yeah. And, well, so there's a, a case of a mistaken identity. She thinks she's fucking the Duke, right. um, who is going to um, pony up the money to produce the show. Um, but instead, she falls in love with Christian, who's right. a poor writer. A life without love, that's terrible. No, being on the street, that's terrible. No. Love is like oxygen. What? Love is a many splendid thing. What? Love lifts us up where we belong. All you need is love. Please don't start that again. All what? you need is love. A girl has got to eat. All you need is love. She'll end up on the street. All you need <laughs> is love. Love is just a game. And they just have this big love affair, and it's fun and loud and crazy and it's part of Baz Luhrmann's kind of like his red curtain trilogy correct um oh the other two being Romeo and Juliet yeah and the first one was strictly uh, ballroom strictly ballroom yeah uh, sorry I was I was a big Baz Luhrmann fan as a teen yeah. so I'm I know all this I yeah. mean we all shopped at Hot Topic as teens yes exactly so we were really into Baz Luhrmann okay <laughs> Um, I watched Australia. <laughs> <laughs> I did, and I like that movie, and that's neither here nor there. Anyway, <laughs> like, um, this movie, I, I think this movie really showcases... I mean, first of all, I think a lot of work went into this movie. Him and Nicole said that they worked a year on this movie. They did two weeks of workshopping, went away for a while, came back, workshopped yeah. it more, learned all their singing and dancing. Dancing that ended up getting cut from the film anyway. Songs that ended up getting cut from the film. Hugh McGregor talks in one interview interview uh, that uh he had decided that uh, at the end he should sing uh i can't live if living with is without uh, you and they even recorded it and then they were like no this is too cheesy so i mean the whole movie is just like overload like uh, i've heard cr- critiques of the movie that it's just like lots of cuts and high energy it like is too much overload yeah. um but i fucking love it it is a truly fantasia and feast for your senses it's funny that movie has had like a, a i feel like as I've gotten older, a weird sort of reappraisal from people there. Are, there I think I feel like we've moved back to where it's, especially with the musical coming out, like, uh, I mean, with the stage show, uh, where mo- the pendulum has swung back towards favorable. But for years and years and years, yeah, I had friends when I told them I were doing you and McGregor, they were like, oh, you guys aren't going to talk about Moulin Rouge, are we you? We absolutely and like, are. And like, I actually like Moulin Rouge. So I don't know. I don't know. what's. I haven't watched it in a really long time. I, I might find it nauseating now, but like, I don't know. There's something very special about 18-year-old Gavin, because that's when it came out for mm-hmm. me. Mm-hmm. And like, I skipped school to go see it. Oh like, I just, I was obsessed. So like, the, I, the movie, yeah, yeah. I think the movie is totally worthy of obsession because it is a brilliant mashup of like modern sensibilities with like old time, this like uh, the yearning for love and beauty. Yeah. And it's just a wonder to behold. Yeah. There's a lot of like crazy. Um, it's very kinetic. Like yeah, you you genuinely wonder um, how an editor achieved the sort of like speed and accuracy. It's sort of it's sort of funny watching the island. I felt like I was watching the exact opposite because I oh. began to think that Michael Bay doesn't know how images connect to each other. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. like that's one of the things that like as frantic as Moulin Rouge seems, it's so, it's like masterly right. plotted in in the way that I mean I'm an editor as that's my trade. So like when I look at that, like I don't know, I can see how the pieces fit together right. and I think that's I don't know. I, and it's it's yeah. not even just like the the moving picture, but like the sound editing on yeah. it. Like, yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's a lot of like gags and whistles and things that right. go on. Um, I will also say I think Ewan is very funny in the yeah. movie, and but on the opposite end, it is 
he is able to tap into that theatrical sadness yeah. and tragedy of when he, at the very end, um, you know, Satine tells him to go away because she doesn't want him to get killed. Yeah. And he, like, bursts through on stage, like, literally as the show is going on, throws money down at her and is like, I've paid my whore. <gasps> Thank you for curing my ridiculous obsession with love. I, as a teenager, line reading, fully so bawling my face <laughs> off. Like, I've, I did not rewatch this movie because I have fully watched it 50 times. Yeah. I could, like... Louis, <laughs> are you gay? <laughs> Very. <laughs> Last time I watched it with my good friend Shaddy, and I didn't even know that I was doing this. I was doing, like, the breaths that yeah. Nicole Kidman does, like, perfectly in sync because it's just so intrinsically... Uh, um, this year at your birthday, uh, just to give a special shout out to you. Oh my God, you're we, right. We were like shouting the elephant love medley. Literally yeah. the entire bar. Like we had climbed up onto it. Yeah. Fully screaming out. Yeah. It was a good birthday. I mean, <laughs> you only turned 30 once. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but anyway, enough of Moulin Rouge. Gavin, please, um, tell me what you've chosen. I want to go with his other, uh, musical that I love so much, which is Velvet Goldmine. Oh, cool. Uh, yeah. And Velvet Goldmine is, uh, Todd Haynes' film, uh, which is, it's a yes. sort of fake autobiography of David Bowie. Right. Mixed with Citizen Kane. There's some shots directly out of Citizen Kane, lots of, but it's essentially about, uh, this glam rock sort of punker it starts out as a mod, uh, character named Brian Slade, who's the, the David Bowie, uh, sort of stand in and, uh, the, this movie, like, played by pop- Matthew Reese, right? Yeah, or Jonathan Reese Myers. Jo- why did I fucking say my voice? I don't know. Okay, it's fine. Uh, played by Jonathan Reese Myers, and uh, it, it sort of follows his career. It's a, like uh, the rise and fall, sort of as you would for uh, uh, Ziggy Stardust, as you will. But the the main storyline is actually uh, Christian Bale playing a, a journalist named Arthur Stewart, who is trying to track down Brian Slade, who uh, disappeared after like faking his death yeah. on stage. He like uh, plotted a fake murder on yeah. himself. Um, to sort of kill off this character he'd created for himself. Um, it's very dramatic. And, uh, terribly. And, and in the, in the process of, uh, of doing this, he, he starts, um, interviewing people that were connected to Brian Slade, including his ex-wife, Mandy Slade, played by Tony Collette, and his, uh, his ex-lover, Kurt Wilde, played by Hugh McGregor, who is, um, effectively, if you were to do the David Bowie story, he's a combination of Lou Reed and Iggy Pop. He looks right. a lot like Iggy Pop, but he's really sort of fulfilling the Lou Reed He also, portion. though, looks a lot like Kurt Cobain. Oh, at the fucking end of the movie, he looks exactly like Kurt Cobain, and it kills me that we never, he never got a chance to play him, because now he's too old. Right. I mean, unless, unless you're doing, like, a, a fucking somewhere beyond the sea thing. Right. It's, it's I not. Think, I think I read somewhere that, um, Courtney Love was also, like, being like, what the fuck, why, you guys are like, he, that is Kurt Cobain. Right. I mean, it's, it's not, but also, like, I mean, yeah. He looks exactly like him, and his name is Kurt, but. Yeah. Um, and then also the movie has uh, all these, um, besides Citizen Kane as a focal point and David Bowie as a focal point, it also has all these Oscar Wilde things, beautiful Oscar Wilde quotes. It's yep. very dreamy. The whole movie like moves kind of like a dream. It's very frank about its sexuality. Um, Kurt Wilde like is a, a very, um, sexually active. He, basically fucks anything that moves. Yeah, he's free. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's wild because it's set up like, when he goes to America, they're like, who do you want to meet? And he's like, Kurt Wilde. Yeah. And when he sees Kurt Wilde, it's like, 
he is that American crazy, will yeah. whip his dick out on stage. On his stage. It's funny, I told you this uh, when, we, when we first picked Hugh McGregor, Todd Haynes said in an interview that he, um, you know, all he asked Ewan to do was to moon the audience. Right. And then he did that, and he was like, great, keep it right. in the film. Right. <laughs> um, the, and, uh, yeah, and it's just really uh, beautiful. And I, you really believe that there was love between Brian Slade in so much that Brian Slade could give love to somebody that was not himself, right. which is probably why supposedly David Bowie really hated this movie and like refused to see it and was like, but I almost feel like that's part of the Citizen Kane, sort of like the William Randolph Hearst, like, right. oh, like the myth of the film. Um, but yeah, so Kurt Wilde was his lover. It's this disastrous love affair at Leeds, you know, like they set out to change the world they end up only changing themselves. Look, man, I don't know who you've been talking to or what you're after here, but... Well... Well... Listen, a real artist creates beautiful things and puts nothing of his own life into them, okay? Is that what you did? No. We set out to change the world. Ended up just changing ourselves. What's wrong with that? Nothing. If you don't look at the world. It's, it's labyrinthian at points. Like, yeah. it just... All over the place. It's so stylish. There's yeah. a lot of like magical realism. Yeah, um, glitter everywhere, glitter all the time, everywhere. <laughs> it also just like made me think like, man, rock stars used to be so fucking fun, right? I just think it's really beautiful and, and totally like that was probably because it came out just a little before Mulan. Was probably like right. my Mulan, like watching that and being like, oh, like boys. Well, yeah, boys. Um, um, it's funny because I I think in in both of these movies it really showcases his like frenetic wild um energy yeah. i guess um like you mentioned this was one of the first movies he had an american accent yes oh and i was going to talk about that um i don't think you mcgregor can do an american accent <laughs> um and that i like that's what i was worried about like because that one that feels a little meaner than than maybe i should be saying but like he does an american accent and like for the most part, he's playing characters that are sort of bigger than life, so it doesn't really matter. Right. Velvet Goldmine, Big Fish, like, these, these are roles that it doesn't matter if he's sort of... But he does an American accent like a person mm-hmm. who thinks all Americans talk like this. Mm-hmm. And it's so... You can hear I, him trying. Yeah, and I it grates on me. I think what it is is his his voice is so, like, mellifluous. Just, yeah. like, it's like a melody. Everything. Yeah. And so when it's... When he doesn't... Any accent outside of American, because there's no romance in American accent, right? Like, but like Australian, Scottish, British, Southern, like, yeah. And you can, you can, you can hear the upturn still in his voice, even when he's not, you know, right. But like for the character of Kurt Wilde, I actually think it works because Kurt Wilde is a performance, right? And even when he's like not performing, he's performing. Yeah. You know, I love the movie. It's a if you haven't seen it, it's like a special find. Yeah, I think, for and sure. just full of the best fucking music. I mean, David Bowie wouldn't let them use any of his music, but like you have Brian Eno and Venus and Furs and uh, Lou Reed music in it, and just uh, yeah, their version of "Babies on Fire," while not as good as the original Eno version, is still amazing. And plus, Jonathan Rhys Meyers does the David Bowie thing of like pretending to go down on yeah. him while he's playing his guitar. Yeah, it's just so well done. Yeah, yeah. The, the movie is it's it's. Uh, 
yeah, like I said, it's very special for yeah. sure. Were there other uh, Were there other films that you saw that you particularly I liked? I want a controversial pick. I know, but I just watched The Impossible, and I, I don't think The Impossible is bad. Well, no. I mean, so I think okay, The Impossible is a movie that is about one family and their um, journey or tragedy uh, reconciliation during the um, 2006 um, Indian Ocean disaster in, yeah. in like Thailand and South Southern Asia. Um, the movie didn't make a lot of, no pun intended, waves in the United States. Um, I think a lot of people were like, why are we talking about one white family right. for this thing? And so I stayed away from the movie, honestly. I stayed away from it, but I finally got around to watching it for this. And holy shit, this movie, uh, directed by J.A. Bayona. Yeah. Um, first of all, what I didn't know, and I don't think a lot of Americans know, this is a Spanish movie. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Jay is a Spanish director. The entire production company it was from Spain. Um, the producers heard uh, Maria Bellon, um, who was the woman, the the original family that this is based on was a Spanish family, and she went on radio to talk about her um, what happened to her family. And producers heard her, and they contacted her, and she ended up co-writing the movie. Yeah. Was with them while filming, giving. I, it's Naomi so funny lots. too because. When that was found out, then it was like, okay, still white family. Like, right. why are they not a Spanish family? Right, right. Um, Maria Bellon apparently said she loved Naomi Watts so much, and she asked for her to play her in this movie. Yeah. Um, that neither here nor there. The movie is incredible. Yeah, um, it's it's well, beautifully it's good, done. Yeah. This movie is just visceral, and if anything, this movie is just like a reminder of like what the fuck, like Katrina and Sandy, yeah. and all these things that keep happening, like. The most horrifying part of this movie is when Ewan McGregor is fully walking around, uncovering body bags to see if his family is in any of them, and the camera just zooms out, and there's hundreds and hundreds of body bags, and I just thought, the first thought was, like, pure horror. Yeah. I love, controversially, because uh, I know some people really hate this movie, and I've heard from people that they think it's boring as well, but I think it just touches something I lost my father about 10 years ago and big fish is a movie that mm. reminds me of him. Yeah. And I really love that. And I really like, um, you McGregor's performance. I think it is big in body, but it's also like really touching and heartwarming. And I think it's really plays well off of Albert Finney, who plays the older version of yeah. him performance. I don't want to talk too much about big fish, but I really, the moment that he sees Alison Lohman at the, at oh, the circus and everything freezes. Beautiful and, filmmaking. Yeah. Yeah. And just, uh, one of maybe probably the last time Tim Burton made a, a good was, movie. I was going to say, <laughs> yeah. I was like, Oh, this is Tim Burton. Like not being a complete yeah. crazy person. Yeah. Like, it was it, like last gasps of like control yeah. creativity. Yeah. Not everything was on a green screen. Well, that scene, particularly, one of the things I love about it is there's CG in that scene, but the actors are mimes. Mm. So it's not like they froze right. them. They right. just stopped they moving. Just stopped, yeah. Um, which, which I loved. Daffodils. They're your favorite flower. How did you get so many? I called everywhere in five states. I told them it was the only way to get my wife to marry me. You don't even know me. I have the rest of my life to find out. I mentioned Young Adam earlier, yeah, and I, I really yeah. like Young Adam and him and Tilda Swinton. So, like, lo lots of Scottishness and uh, <laughs> uh, lots of sex that's not romantic. Um, and I'm trying to think. Train spotting. Train spotting's great. Train spotting's great. I, I mean, it. obviously. How, how could you I not talk it. about. Doesn't it make you proud to be Scottish? It's shite being Scottish! With the lowest of the low! The scum of the fucking earth! The most wretched. 
miserable, servile, pathetic trash that was ever shot into civilization. Some people hate the English, I don't. They're just wankers. We, on the other hand, are colonised by wankers. Can't even find a decent culture to be colonised by. We're ruled by a few assholes. It's a shite state of affairs to be in, Tommy, and all the fresh air in the world won't make any fucking difference. And then uh, another movie that I... Uh, oh, the, the Pillow Book, which I mentioned earlier. Um, also great. There are so many publishers in the world. Why worry about this one? I have my reasons. I suspect it's because he rejected you so swiftly and few people, if any, have ever done that. Perhaps. But if you're so determined to be published by him, the publisher who rejects you and who loves me, then I have a plan. And, uh... Another movie I saw today, actually, one of the last movies I watched, which is not a great movie, but a really good piece for him, which is The Last Days in the Desert, in which he plays both Jesus and Satan. Right. That's yeah. one of the movies that I wanted to watch. So yeah. I, that's the, I it's like, small. It's short. It's like an hour and a half. And like, it's nice. But like the the plot feels a little bit like Jesus' marriage counselor, which I thought was a weird choice, huh. but whatever. Um, but yeah. So I guess that brings us to our one-star reviews. Yes. There was one far and away movie that I just was like, holy shit, this is garbage. And um, that is Eye of the Beholder. Um, I've not seen that in years, but I have seen it. And this is a 1999 uh, mystery thriller film, but what I like to call my least favorite genre of movie it's like um the sexy cyber thriller yes so there's always like and these are very popular in like the late 90s early thousands where like ooh, the internet crazy sexy and like honestly everyone was just trying to be the matrix and they were not um this is prior to the matrix i think so oh is it yeah well then then the matrix stands on these shoulders <laughs> um i the beholder um also starring ashley judd which honestly I saw this movie, and now I'm seeing in these Me Too eyes, this movie is trash, because for a lot of it, Ashley Judd is getting naked for no reason, Yeah, and her character is trash, and there's a lot of shots of her in the tub, just, like, kind of luxuriating for no reason, and it, and all this is, like, and she's also in the rain a lot for no reason. I, I have said this for years, uh, we did not treat Ashley Judd well enough. Absolutely <laughs> not. Um... He plays um, Stephen Wilson. Um, he's like some sort of FBI dude. Like his his code name is the Eye, <laughs> um, and he's like this intelligence agent. And he's like just very good at like spying on people and getting the info back to HQ, whatever. Also, he happens to casually be haunted by his daughter, um, and like it's really fucking annoying. He has a lot of moments where he's like, "Stop it." And she's like, Danny, what's going on? Like, it's fucking awful. Um, essentially, um, oh, Katie Lang is in this movie. Yeah, she, I just read that. She, I don't remember her in the movie at all. She's like his um, Q, you know, like back at oh, headquarters. Yeah. And she's like, what's going on? Um, he has an assignment to go follow around some rich dude. So he does. Turns out Ashley Judd kills him while he's watching. But for some reason, he's just so magnetically attracted to Ashley Judd. He just decides to follow her, and he literally follows her around the country for a long time. Like, he has different hair as the movie goes on, so that signals to me that it's been years. Um, Ashley Judd, like, ends up, for some reason, she's crying a lot, and, you know, she ends up marrying, like, a blind guy. 
Ewan McGregor, who's still stalking her, is like, no! And so he, like, gets him killed, essentially, um, and follows her to Alaska. It is the most batshit crazy movie, and I don't even know if there's anything resembling a plot that makes sense here. Um, he is not good. Ashley Judd is treated like shit. Um, the mystery haunted daughter, I don't know what that was there for. It doesn't really happen, like, yeah, the second half of the movie. This one's my daughter. I think. She was an embassy kid, and I uh, was relocated or uh, dislocated, as I think the word that they used, every 10 months. I simply came home one day, and uh, she wasn't there anymore. And seven years later, I stopped looking for her. And the thing that gets me the most is that she had no choice. She simply woke up one morning and uh, and didn't have a father anymore. So I'm just a daddy who lost his little girl. And I guess you're a little girl who who lost a daddy. I uh, I almost wish I had rewatched this because I basically banished most of that to the recesses of my brain. It should be banished to the recesses of like American cinema, <laughs> truly. Um, I don't want to kick a guy when he's down, but my least favorite was American Pastoral. Mm. And and I think part of it is, um, is the man didn't have good enough sense not to recast himself. It's just not a, it's just not a role he was capable of. He's not, he's too, for, for all of the, like, he's the correct age in reality Mm -hmm. to play the role. But like, he's not, like, he doesn't look like it. It's it, so. Right. The, the so you movie, think he's too young? I think he's too young, and he's too broad. He's too like this is a role for somebody who can play it all inside, and he can't. Right. He just can't. So what? American Pastoral is a movie about Swede. He's Swede. He's like a, a very like a, American, a, yeah, Aryan looking Jewish person who marries the the. He's a football star who marries the prom queen played by Jennifer Connelly, who and, also and was she, like Miss New Jersey. Yeah, yeah, and she's she's a shiksa, so she's not Jewish, mm. and his father doesn't approve. Um, and uh, they have a daughter who has a stutter who grows up to be um, Dakota Fanning. Dakota Fanning, um, and she's very affected. She wa- she watches a monk self immolate during the sixties, and it like scars her, and she gets very affected in the anti war movement. And her father tells her one day, like, he doesn't want her protesting far. He, you know, why doesn't she protest at home? And so she blows up post office, a mm-hmm. local post office, and goes on the run. And he spends the rest of his life trying to find her. Yep. Um, and, like, it's the trials and tribulations of that. On top of that, there's a wraparound story with Davis Strathane, who is back home for his 40th. Um, right. Uh, the story is told through that lens. Right. And, and whatever like, happened to the Swede? Right. Well, that's the weird part, right? So David Strathane is like in this town for his 40th high school reunion. And he, like the Swede wasn't even in his class. He was the older brother of a friend of his that's in the right, class. Right. Uh, the uh, friend, the younger brother played by Rupert Evans. Um, and he like idolized this guy to the point of obsession. It right. feels like, which I pretty sure in the novel is like one of those things of like somebody from the outside seeing the American dream, but in the movie is played so wrong. It's just like, why? It's what a is weird. A, it's weird. It's like, he once helped me across the street, 
Right. And it's like, it's very Mean Girls where it's like, she once punched me in the face. Yeah. It was awesome. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so Rupert Evans is like, oh yeah, he died. And like, this is the story about him. Yeah. And it's supposed to be sort of like, everybody has a darkness to them. Like everybody has, like the American dream is never what you think it is. And right. like, um, and, but like what makes the choices of all that even worse is that like you have David Strathane, who is a person in his seventies, um, up against Rupert Evans in terrible makeup. old age makeup yeah. and it's just like cast to somebody else to play older Rupert Evans like right. why don't why would you do this and well, especially they, since Rupert Evans is so baby faced they did this I mean at the end of the movie they show Ian McGregor right. in, in old age yeah. and it's not good either um, and like I th- I think what bothered me the most I mean it's, it's a bad adaptation of what I've heard is a very good novel um, but like I think what hurts it more is the emotional core there is missing and there's scenes uh, between him and Dakota Fanning because he does spoiler alert he does run into her a couple times as she's older and it's very emotional but it's like he's I don't know like like her whatever direction he was giving her doesn't work no. and what he's giving himself is so big you want to protest the war protest it right here in Old Rimrock what am I going to do march around the post office Bring the war home, isn't that the slogan? Look, they gave me this award. It's just a stupid plaque, but it means one thing. If you take a stand, people notice. If you oppose the war, right here, with all your strength, this is part of America too, you know. Read Marx. Revolutions don't begin in the countryside. We're not talking about revolutions. You're not talking about revolutions. They don't have any chemistry at no, all. No, they and don't. I, it was almost like I could see, She was trying to be, like, disaffected. Yeah. And, like, aloof. And she's giving nothing to him. Right. And meanwhile, he's, like, throwing everything but the kitchen sink well, out that, there. And that's the thing. He is so big. And it, it, it is a, a performance that calls for subtlety. And to make matters worse is that he's the one calling the shots. Yeah. And he couldn't convince himself to be subtle enough to portray this, like, American dream. And once again... The accent's a problem, and I, I know I feel bad like going after him for that, but like just like I'm an American citizen, like uh-huh. just like oh stop. I will say Jennifer Connelly was very good. Oh, Jennifer Connelly is never bad. If he is to direct again, I think there are better choices he could make. I I don't want to say too much about him as a director because I don't think he made any wrong. Dis- I mean, it was a very plain looking film. I didn't think there was a lot of like style in right. terms of that. Uh, you know, there was occasional like, like old news programmy stuff. And, uh, but yeah, I don't know. He, I think he just fell into the trap that most first time directors do, which is to make a film that looks as sort of generic as possible. And yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Unfortunate. Yeah. It's really unfortunate. Um, so yeah. Uh, were there anything else that you thought was pretty disastrous? Um, I mean, like I said, I watched Blue Juice, which is like a surfing movie. Yeah. Which he's not the lead in. Um, Catherine Zeta-Jones is in this movie. Um, <laughs> before, I guess, we thought she was like Latina. Um, but, yeah. Before Zorro. Yes. Um, which was kind of like a, a very subpar movie. Um, what else? Uh, um, I, me- I mentioned uh, Night Watch, which is a really just nasty piece of work and just... Not a not a good movie, but he's he's not the worst thing in it. So 
I I did watch The Island, and I don't think it's his worst right. performance. Uh, it's a bad movie, but one of my favorite things about that movie is the fact that it really feels like everybody's sort of like, we know it's dumb. Like, kind yeah, of like, like yeah. it almost feels like every now and then... A character, whichever character's on screen at the time, be it Steve Buscemi, him, um, Scarlett Johansson, and just like k- kind of turns to it. the camera and winks. Like, well, we know this is stupid. The movie has like the, every hallmark of a Michael Bay movie ever. Right. There's like product placement. Yeah. They're like, like, literally, they're in like an Xbox arena. Right. Like, they have a drink of, you know, Z- whatever it is. Um, the colors, like, I, I will say, like, I would say of Michael Bay's work, like, I would put like Bad Boys at the top. And then I'd put the island. What? The Rock and Or Armageddon? Like the, the actual uh, good movies? The actual good movies? Um, okay, first of all, Bad Boys is an excellent movie. How no, we've, we've been having this argument since our second episode. Bad Boys is excellent, and you guys can drag me all you fucking want, but you're fucking wrong. And by guys, you just mean me. Uh, so, Louis, let's quick before we move on to our uh, fast forward let's do our mixed reviews review okay um so my uh five star review was 1998's velvet goldmine my five star review was 2001's moulin rouge and my one star review was 2016's american pastoral mine was 1999's eye of the beholder excellent so let's move into our fast forward so we're talking about um even because he has Christopher Robin out yes. in theaters now. I didn't watch it. I'm assuming you didn't get to go watch it. I didn't watch it, but I have very specific reasons for not watching it. So I was like, oh yeah, we'll, we'll do you and McGregor. And like, I like Winnie the Pooh. Like that's, yeah, yeah. And then I was like, oh, it's directed by Mark Forrester, who's one of my least favorite directors currently working. Who? Oh, what's his deal? Uh, he did The Kite Runner and Quantum of Solace and mm. Finding Neverland, and he's just a smaltzy hack. Okay, um, okay, okay. And, um, and then... I saw who wrote the script, and like it's the the woman who wrote Hidden Figures, fine, and the I can't remember the second guy who wrote something else more reason, and then fucking Alex Ross Perry, who I've never even been able to make it through one of his movies, Who's and it's that? and it's hard for me to stop watching a movie. He wrote wrote and directed this movie called Listen Up, Philip a couple of years ago, and I had a screener, so I was seeing it for free nonetheless mm. too, and still and I turn it off. In between, he works with Elizabeth Moss a lot. He did made this movie called Queen of Earth. He has this other movie coming out soon called Her Smell. Um, Gross. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, I do not like him. So I was just like, you know what, this Never movie mind. is canceled. And, um, yeah, I didn't watch it, but also he has a new movie on Amazon right now. Yes, called Zoe. Yes, with Alea Sedu. Uh, you, you know who else is uh, co-starring in it? Who? Christina Aguilera. Yes. Okay. So <laughs> I, I did watch this and. Um, I was like, that robot sure does look like, Chris- oh, that is Xtina. That is Christina Aguilera, ladies and gentlemen, making her, um, does wa- she ask you McGregor to help her put on makeup at any point? No, but she does ask him to do the wagon with Watusi. That's crazy. <laughs> That's crazy. Did you get to watch it? No, I didn't. And I did mean to watch it. It's I very did. good. And it's it re- good. Interesting. It reminded me a lot of, um, like Annihilation, yeah. um, Ex Machina, like uh, that kind of vibe and aesthetic. Um, very Gattaca-esque. Oh, um, I really like Gattaca. So I love Gattaca. Strong praise. Um, yeah, I, I think Leia Seydoux is very good. Also, so beautiful, but also radiates this, like, quiet, fiery energy. Yeah. What you're feeling is a program. Machines don't really feel the way people do. Hi. Oh, hey. I ran a match with you and me. I have to show you something. You don't oversee the synthetics division at the lab. You're a creation of it. 
It was a test. I had no idea you would evolve like this. If you have Amazon Prime, Zoe is streaming now free. Um, it's it's very uh, interesting, weird, and good. Um, so I recommend that. Um, uh, well, he has coming up next, according to IMDb, um, he has uh, Doctor Sleep, which is in pre-production. Yes, so Doctor Sleep is the Stephen King sequel to The Shining, and he's playing the adult Danny Torrance. Um, in the book of Doctor Sleep, Danny Torrance is now a janitor at a, a like a not a retirement home, but like a a, a home for sick older people, mm. and he sort of uses his powers to um uh help them pass more peacefully. His like psychic powers, but also at this time there's a group of psychic vampires who are traveling Ooh. across the country. Of course, there is, and um he he like befriends a little girl, and they want her like essence, and so he has to battle these psychic vampires. Wait. Is it Hocus Pocus two? It's Hocus Pocus two. Wow. Um, but yeah, so that's a that's but I mean that's a big right. That is a big one, and it's funny. He just did an interview where somebody was like, um, uh, "What do you think uh, Stephen, Stephen King will think of um, this?" Since he notoriously hated the Shining adaptation, and he's like, "I think Stephen King will like it." But we're very faithful to the book, except for one big change, and I won't oh. tell you what it is. So yeah, so what do you what did you think? What do you learn? And what do you feel that Ewan McGregor should be doing in the future? I mean, so the one thing I learned about Ewan McGregor is that he is such a confident actor. Yeah. Um, he's given lots of interviews where he says, you know, when he was doing train spotting in Shallow Grave, or even like before that, like trying to get work, he was like, I had no doubt in my mind. I thought I was the shit. Right. And everything I was going to do was going to be amazing. And you could not tell me otherwise. Um, and I think even with his flops, he's talked about American Pastoral. So how he was like, yeah, it's disappointing. No one saw it. Uh, uh, you have a sort of... Um connection with the work I've always felt connected to my work and, and an ownership of it as an mm. actor but but if a film's not done very well in this box office or whatever I just go okay well I, I got something out of it and the experience was rich for me and it didn't really matter but in this case because it was a film that I'd made mm. I found that that was very hard to deal with the fact mm. that people didn't go and see it you know a lot in the cinema um, but you know you do the work and then you move on and yeah uh, and I like that attitude about him. And uh, hopefully, I mean, hopefully he, there is a self-reappraisal as well as like right. a critical appraisal of it. I think also it, he's but... figured out though, like what he likes doing. Yeah. I think he was like, listen, I fucking did the island, um, bought a house and, you know, yeah. was okay. And that, but he has said, you know, he likes working on these really small movies. That yeah. Jesus movie, he said, you know, he literally, Knew that they didn't have a budget, yeah. so he they like got him a trailer, and he was like, "Guys, fucking get rid of the trailer, and so we can all like have a better meal together or whatever." Yeah, like, you know. And then that movie is sidebar. That movie is directed by Rodrigo Garcia, whom I for the most part like. He directed this movie called Nine Lives years ago that I, I really love, but he also directed the Anne Hathaway Passengers. Oh, ugh. yeah, exactly. So oh, my one star review for Anne Hathaway coming back yeah. to haunt me. Uh, I, I I think he is. Now, after Star Wars, after the island, he's now doing weird small right. stuff that I think suits him better. And I, and I think when he does the bigger stuff, it's stuff that actually piques his interest, like Doctor Sleep. Mm-hmm. I don't think he would. I don't know if he would necessarily go in to do, to do. I mean, I think I think he might actually if they asked him to do an Obi Wan movie, oh, which and I would fucking watch that because I like him. But 
He would, uh, he would do it in a second. But but I think like, you know, something like X-Men or, or like a Marvel movie, I think he would think twice over doing something like, you know, something that sounds as crazy as doing like an adult Christopher Robin or right. whatnot. I don't want to do work that I... Uh, my, what fires me is mm. the kind of work that we do. It's the, mm. f- about people and exploring human nature and how we deal with situations. And mm. I, I, it doesn't matter to me if I can like shoot fire out of my eyes or fly through the air it matters mm. how how do i deal with the situation in a in a human way you know you know it's so funny you brought up x-men and now i'm thinking about michael fassbender yeah and like they seem to have they seem to be driving in the same lane yeah um i i think the, the only reason it's funny because i've been thinking a lot about fast it's funny the two people i've been thinking the most about since we did you and was Fassbender and Anne Hathaway, because I think he has much more in common with Anne Hathaway. I do think Anne Hathaway is another big, we talked about it before, another big performance, and she's not, but she can do nuance, Mm -hmm. and that's the difference. Because, like, I thought the, the, monster movie she did last year. Right, right, right. Was, like, kind of a nuancey performance. Um, but Fassbender, I, I think is the opposite of McGregor. Um, because I think he shows his hand. And like I said, you watch those later X-Men movies and clearly doesn't want to be doesn't in them. Care, doesn't But, like, he'll show up when he wants to. Right. He, and this, they, they're both, like, European, uh, very handsome men. Yeah. Very distinctly handsome men. And when they flash that smile, whew. And that's not all both of them will flash. Hi-yo. Woo! <laughs> but, yeah, I think I'd, I really hope as he continues... Um, this journey and path of his, like, yeah. he will find the, the movie that will finally snatch him an Oscar. Yeah. Because I know I, he has it in it. I agree. And then all, on top of that, before we close out this episode, I, I would like to see him on stage. I, I really would like to yes. see him yes, yes, do yes. something, like, prominent in America on stage. Be a musical, be it a straight play. Like, I, I don't know, but, like, I he has the chops for it. Yeah. He's great. Like I said, he's big, so, like, he can... He can create that energy he that can he command needs. an yeah. audience, and and like he seems to have captured those audiences in Britain. I would I would like to see him do something stage, right. you know, in America. Right. That's, I guess he doesn't hang out in New York too much, huh? He doesn't really. No, um, he's a big motorcycle nerd. Yeah, so, so like, he's always traveling, and you know, he's got four kids, four daughters. Oh I my know, god! And me. one one of them is uh, he mentioned his one of his daughters like pulled the like the trigger. On the like, well, I'm 16. Like, why can't I drop out of school Ooh. and be a photographer? Take and that, luck- Dad. Luckily, his he said his wife at the time was like, no, never. So yeah, cause, your father's an idiot. Yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, so that's our that's our dissection of you, McGregor. He's he's great, and I hope none of my comments are taken as negative. I just don't think that he's like a he's not like a like this is Gavin's address, guys. <laughs> Please um, go dox him. The uh, but yeah. I, I only want a million more down with loves from him. No, oh my uh, God. Him and Renee Zellweger just being like, <laughs> she, she does not get enough credit for that movie. That, that 10 minute scene, that 10 minute monologue that she delivers with uh, no cuts. Is it the one at the end? Yeah. It's so good. She, it's I mean, insane. It is it, insane that he got that Peyton Reed, which by the way, at this point, we've now covered every Peyton Reed movie on this show. Really? Without, yeah. Down with love. Yes, man. Uh, the two Ant-Man movies and um, bring it on, bring it on. Wow! So we've now we've now hit every Peyton Reed movie. I guess we don't need to do an episode of him. No, we really don't. Um, I mean, I think he's proved he we don't need to do an episode of him. But, um, Was that shade? Oh, yikes! Uh, but yeah, so uh, you five star review. Bring it on. One star <laughs> review. Ant-Man done. <laughs> done. Um, I probably would give one star to Yes Man as much as I don't like the first Ant-Man.
True. Okay. Well done. There was our mini episode on Peyton Reed. Yeah. (laughs) Thank Um, you guys for coming to the Mixed Reviews. (laughs) Absolutely. If you want to find us online, you can find us at Twitter at at the Mixed Reviews. Uh, We're also on Facebook. You can just type in the Mixed Reviews. There we are. You can email us at reviewsmixed at gmail.com. And you can also just find us on all your favorite podcast player station things. We're on Stitcher, iTunes, uh, Spotify, Mm -hmm. uh, Google Play Music, and uh, iHeartMedia. iHeartMedia, and just anywhere and uh, yeah if you want if you listen to us on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher we would love if you would leave us a rating and review uh, because it lets other people find us as well and as much as we like you guys like we we want to meet other people too I think I have a really fun idea for our audience instead of doing a Twitter poll about what your favorite performance is we're going to do a Twitter poll about what your favorite performance of you and McGregor in Moulin Rouge is okay <laughs> like is it Elephant Love Medley is it um, him just looking really sad during Roxanne? Uh, uh, I do want to mention real quick, by the way, uh, in terms of uh, uh, ratings and reviews on July 27th, we received a new rating and review from Crispy File, who is a co-host of a really great podcast called This Had Oscar Buzz. So oh, you yeah. check them out at, at Had Oscar Buzz. Um, but he says, Gavin and Louie are a lot of fun and have really sharp insights. Their balanced point of view are always refreshing and insightful. Wow. Thank you so much. Thank you, Chris. I mean... I would say that about myself. Not sure about Gavin, but, um, you know. <laughs> I think that's the heat talking. <laughs> um, but, uh, but yes, uh, we will be back in two weeks. Hopefully you enjoyed this episode. Yeah, see you guys next time. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.